0: welcome to the ADSS podcast. Today I'm here with Dr. John Becketta, a forensic odontologist and tutor at the Adelaide University. How are you you today? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, so looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, exactly. I thought it's uh, it's an interesting specialty, not something that a lot of people know about. I found that going through dental school, it's not something that they really focused on. We had maybe one module on it, but everything seems very sort of endo-focused, fixed pros, and that kind of stuff. So I thought it'd be uh, an interesting sort of breath of fresh air. Well, thanks for the invitation. No, I'm glad to have you. So, uh, before we move on to the dentistry-related questions, uh, and as a tradition on the podcast, I thought we could talk about some of the things that you do outside of dentistry. So, what are some of your hobbies, you know, likes, dislikes, that kind of thing? Well,
1: talking about hobbies, um, I'm a keen fisherman. So, I love going fishing, whether it's by boat, or whether it's on the jetty, or whether it's dabbing for crabs. Uh, That's fantastic. It's a way of relaxing and uh, just getting out there, just... Back to, uh, as a kid, I was always outdoors and um, you know doing um, camping trips and so forth. So, mm-hmm. uh, fishing's just like an extension from that. Actually, you actually get something at the end. I love eating fish as well. So, it's a way of relaxing. I tried golf, but I was pretty hopeless at it. Right. And various <laughs> different other, other things like tennis, and I finally just got stuff sort of too hot. So, um, yeah. yeah, and it's, it's just a keen thing. I also like playing cards, which is unusual. Um, we have a, uh, just a boys' poker night, where we just bet for a dollar each time. and yeah. uh, But that's been going now for 15 years, so every month. So it's a, it's a cards. tradition at this point. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a tradition, all right. And, yeah. uh, it, we, have, we go out for dinner first and then we play some cards. We used to be, you know, go out till one o'clock in the morning. Now we find yeah. it's <laughs> less and less. So it's now like 10 o'clock. And we go home. Oh, the stamina's <laughs> Getting a bit older. Getting, getting a bit older. <laughs> so it's not so good.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That must be why you go on placements so often. So just uh Just get away just from fishing, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> good
1: fishing, relaxing, it's good. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, it sounds Fantastic. So, I thought we could start with uh, your early career. So, uh, you actually worked in general dentistry for quite a while prior to uh, to specialising. So, how did you find working in general practice?
1: I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I had this feeling that, well, maybe I I don't really belong here. Maybe I wasn't that good. Okay. And I had this bit of an inferiority complex um, at first, but that sort of, that grew. And I think every student probably will probably feel that when they get out. They think, well, oh, phew, I've made it, or yeah. I'm not sure if that's correct, or whether it was just me, but. Um,
0: to be honest, I uh, I felt that like going through dental
1: school. As soon as
0: I started seeing patients, I, I just got this um the imposter syndrome. Yes, I felt like, oh, it, I, I don't syndrome. quite belong here. I'm not sure that I should be seeing patients. Mm. Am I ready for it? So Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but uh, when I went back in the uh, mid 80s, we went to um, Alice Springs, and uh, going to a practice like that where, Um, you had no other support but we had other dentists there and we'd actually talk it through and that was just a great experience and uh, we didn't have any specialists so the specialists would ring you up and reassure you, you just do this, you just do that. sounded easy to them but um, it gradually built up confidence. Um, And also I met a guy called Jeff Knight. Uh, He came and gave us a presentation Mm -hmm. and his work with Resin's was just amazing and that really transformed me. This is what I thought. This is great. And it um, gave a lot of positive feedback from your patients because doing this this sort of aesthetic work, it uh, gives some positivity. Um, In the hospital, you tend to just looking at more function and out of pain, getting people out of pain and looking at function where in private practice, a lot of people are affected by how their teeth look and they tend to have a bit of an inferiority complex, tend not to smile. And it's amazing how you can change people's lives uh, just by doing something simple with, say, mm. resin work and um, later on when they can afford it and they can see what sort of result they can get. Maybe you can go to porcelain work if they can afford it. But uh, uh, his his sort of you're going to aha moment was actually when Jeff Knight yeah. actually came to Alice Springs. And so I have to thank him for that. Yeah, yeah. so he started gravitating more towards that aesthetic kind of dentistry. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Also, with ex- with extractions, that's the I, I find that's the least rewarding. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that well, really is, is that a little like the bit final of, stop. Yeah. yeah. there's <laughs> a little bit of tension there. And I, I feel the patients feel some sort of loss when they lose a tooth. And But there's, it's, um, I always think we never get paid enough to do extractions because it's yeah. more mental stress there, I think, than a lot of other um, yeah. procedures we do in dentistry. Yeah, yeah
0: you definitely have to pe- uh, manage the patient a lot more as well. They're definitely... Yeah. Well, some people are a lot more anxious about that kind of stuff. So. That's right, exactly.
1: Yeah. And you've got to look at... Usually, if there's going to be a medical... Um, emergency it's usually tend to relate around extractions so mm-hmm. it uh, creates a lot more pressure so yeah, definitely I think a more the high funding's, stress funding's not you know weighted wrongly I think yeah, incorrectly there yeah
0: mm. oh that, that's really interesting so um, did you pursue any further
1: study prior to specialising no not Sorry. at all no, oh. I just thought when I when I went through dentistry, I thought, phew, I've got through. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I thought I'd be, be a dentist and uh, earn a good living and uh, enjoy life. And uh, I, I think it's more that you've you, you studied for five years and there was no real um, breakthrough there. So I, I feel like I should have, we did obviously do some CPD Um, Courses, etc. But to to further on, I I felt comfortable in what I was doing. And Alice Springs experience was actually where we did do a lot of um, more high end um, restorative work. And um, because even in Alice Springs, we also treated the Americans there. So there's about about, over a thousand Americans based at Pine Gap. And in our practice, we also treated them. So we're doing some pretty high end work and it just felt great um, and comfortable. Hmm. However, I got okay. bored.
0: <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, I might just swing back around to dental school for a second. Yep. So when you're going through dental school, um, how many sort of clinical hours did you find yourself having? I mean...
1: In, the, in those days, um, we're talking uh, like late 70s. <laughs> uh, um, the, the, we had a lecture usually in the mornings from 8 till 9, and okay. you know, we had clinic from 9 till 12. And then we had um, clinic again in the afternoon, and then we had another le- lectures and 5 o'clock till 6 at night. So okay. there was a lot more clinic in those days Yeah, uh, where we were doing perio, where we were doing restorative, and endo, so yeah. and oral surgery. So I feel that we did a lot more clinical hours when I went mm-hmm. through. It, uh, and it was yeah. satisfying. It was
0: yeah, because I definitely feel like... Um, I mean, that's not to say we don't have a lot of clinical hours, but we definitely have a lot more self-directed learning, I think, Yes. So really, you know, I think fifth year, yeah, you know, for me at least, is, is what I make of it. Yes. So, you know, if I don't put the work in outside of those, you know, two days of clinic that I've got on, right, you know, take on sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, volunteering sessions at, uh, you know, um, Common Ground Dental Care or you know something like that, then really I'm not making the most of you know my time.
1: That's right. You know, it's, so. a, it's what you put in it, and um, also it's very important to discuss things amongst yourselves. Um, mm. A lot of learning occurs, and even uh, as once you graduate as a dentist, you tend to learn more going to conferences when you're having a beer afterwards. Uh, and it says, just oh, that was interesting, peers, I do it yeah. this way. And they said, oh, what do you use? And um, it's a casual conversation. No one's got any vested interest in trying to sell you a resin or sell you a special product or a special tool. Yeah. It's just what other dentists have used and they've found successful. I have a theory where it's um, don't be the first to use someone, but also don't be the last. So yeah. <laughs> it, it's good to keep up there. And um, in the future, this... Um, I think dentistry will be different. Obviously, will be different, and it's important that you just keep up with trends. Um, But don't be the first. Just wait. Just hang back a bit and just see how others see how it pans out. I know it's a bit of of a cop out, but it's the way to go.
0: No, no, I remember. um, I remember going to a lecture on sort of the early, um, early intraoral scanners. And some of those first ones were, were pretty hopeless, uh, nowhere near as good as you know um, you would get from a conventional impression. But nowadays,
1: obviously, things have come quite a long that's way. Right. So That was a bit of a mess. You had to cover everything with a powder, and uh, it was very yeah. awkward. Uh, but now it's actually very, very – I was surprised how that's mm-hmm. come a long way. And now even just – I heard recently in the forensics, I'm using smart glasses where you can just – using glasses to pan the teeth and take a oh, wow, double okay. video of it. So that's the latest uh, – from last night's talk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Oh, I'll have to touch
0: on that a little bit later then. Um, so, I actually had a, a question here about studying for forensic odontology, but uh, we're having a conversation before the podcast started, and you were saying that uh, it's a relatively easy, or no, I won't say easy, but it's, <laughs> it's a simple application process. Yes, I
1: think um, I would do, the first thing is actually contact Denise Higgins, who's our director, um, and just ask, can you do the course? Yep. Um, should love you to have an honours, but um, mm. also we're very um, keen for anyone who's got an interest. Basically, we're looking at motivation and drive, so for someone okay. to do the course. Uh, yeah. Because if you haven't got that, you won't won't get through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a, a great money earner, so there's got to be some sort of other motivation where you want to actually help people out. So to to do the course, there, uh, the amount of study is it's actually more research based. You tend to do a lot of okay. research. A lot of lot of our own self directed learning as well, and the uh, the beauty is once you've gone through the initial stages, you get to actually do casework, and I, I found that. Okay, so you're really sort of getting in yeah. there from the uh, from early days. Yes, yes. and it's um, hard to predict what you're going to do if you're doing endodontics. <laughs> obviously, you'll be doing root canal treatment, but uh, yeah. uh, forensic odontology encases all legal aspects of dentistry. So what that means is mainly, yes, we do identification, mainly, but you might get a case where dentists dentist is fraud, creating fraud or there's a profile on a person required or you want to do an age estimation of, of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, if, it, if it's a child with no papers, you know, what class do they have to go into? Um, are they yeah. 16 yet? Can they have a driver's licence? Now they committed a crime? Do they, you know, are they 18 yet? Do they go to an adult court or a juvenile court? So... Um, Occasionally, also, if um, if there's a a mini mass disaster, we need to profile the person. We're looking at, we can use an age estimation. Hmm. So there's other various aspects of of the law, uh, not just identification. And the other thing is actually bite marks, which is pretty controversial in America.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on that one. Um, So... The next question we've sort of touched on already, but um, so those for those that aren't really well acquainted with the role of a forensic odontologist. So how would you say that? How would you describe, and how would you say it fits within the scope
1: of, say, a police investigation? Uh, basically, the police ask for our, our help. So, wherever, as I said, it could be in any any field, whether it's the fraud or whether it's identification, the um, or an opinion on a like a trauma case. Mm. Um, had a case from Hungary last uh, last week where they just other odontologists asked other odontologists for their opinions as well, and the likelihood of the, um, a force being applied to a certain to part of the mouth and, and does it match the history of what they were saying. So it's, it, it mainly causes you to think, um, and so the police will ask you what your opinion is, knowing on your experience. So in forensic odontology, we don't like usually people going straight from dental school straight to forensic odontology, we like to have a little bit of experience based in mm. mostly also in knowing what actually happens and the, over time and also looking at charting of, of um, records, et cetera, as well. So it's the police, don't ask us direct, usually it's the, or unless it's um, coronal investigative services which are serviced by the police. Um, it's usually another agency, usually the coronal okay. agency or, yeah. or um, major crime, or, or having said that, it is the police, isn't it? The major crime or major crash would ask us for um, their help, our help.
0: Okay. And so how does it fit in uh, you know, with regards to other kinds of evidence? So say DNA you know, evidence, like how does, how does it add to the investigation in that sense?
1: The, um, when it comes to identification, if someone's incinerated, there is no DNA when they've been incinerated for a very long time. So in a crash where it's rural, where the fire brigade hasn't been able to get to the scene and we got prolonged burning and usually, like for an over an hour, uh, that body is usually unfortunately totally, totally burnt. And therefore the any DNA, which once it's reached over 250 degrees, is totally degraded, so there is no DNA. Yeah. And also there's no visual, so there's no fingerprints, there's no tattoos or other methods. So dentistry plays a huge role in fires and um, the... We in the, in the Victorian bushfires, there were 169 perished and about over 60-70% were identified by dental. Similarly, like in the Grenfell Tower in London, uh, most yeah. identified by dental. So, yeah. the, just the DNA is totally incinerated. Yeah. So, in terms of the, the records that you would
0: use to, to come to that sort of identification, so... Um, I went through one of your, your lectures previously, and uh, so one of the things I thought was quite interesting is just lining up um, sort of uh, x-rays that you would take, uh, you know, compared with their past dental records. So seeing the angulation of teeth, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you know, just to, in some ways, in some ways, it's a lot of pattern recognition. So just trying to find, you know,
1: the similar patterns this is, across teeth. This people. is actually correct. When you say yeah. pattern recognition, that's ex- spot on because yeah. we're looking at basically patterns, morphological patterns, restorative patterns, and even bone patterns. So, bone patterns could be like an maxillary sinus, um, where they, the lobes of maxillary sinuses, um, looking mm-hmm. at trabeculae or of the bone, looking at um, even if we've lost the crowns or the roots of the teeth, even. So, there's actually no uh, roots remaining because they've fallen out um, either through trauma okay. or burn. We can actually take an x ray and you actually see the sockets. So, you can then have a look at the, the links of those roots yeah. that were there and compare and where did that finish, where were the apices of those roots. And what is the angulation of that socket when compared to the other? Um, it's nice to have the root itself there, but it's not totally necessary if it's just um, been lost post-mortem. Yeah. So also how much bone is in between the two. And we then uh, try, to, we try to replicate with, with x-rays previously, but there's a bit of subjectivity there because we're looking at a patterns. We're not uh, like a DNA, you'd actually get, get a score on a computer, well, this doesn't happen in forensic odontology we're looking basically at a pattern and set patch pattern match um, yeah. or is it pretty comparable and um is it likelihood that can be replicated somewhere else or someone else having that sort of exact angles and exact finishing of the roots and that <laughs> exact amount of bone between the teeth so There's margin of error so radiographs I mean. are the most important thing because Mm-hmm. Radigast don't lie, and as yeah. <laughs> you know, as students, sometimes people make the wrong errors. The wrong miniature. It could be, is it an upper yeah. one six, or is it an upper seven? Uh, sometimes it's hard to tell, yeah. but by looking at the radiograph, we're just not interested in actually the name of, the, of that tooth. We're looking at basically the shape and the position of it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, some people get the left and right mixed up. So, yeah. so this is just a PSA uh, yeah. to make so, sure you're titanium when, uh, well. After we look at it and, and uh, examine it in the post-mortem, we actually write a report to the coroner and uh, giving our opinion, whether it's, uh, and usually we say it's either established, it's probable, hmm. possible, or we haven't got enough information, or even sometimes we might say it's not here so, mm. yeah, that's actually very very good where, we actually, where they, they've been thrown out by something else and we say, well, actually, it's not this person,
0: yeah. which
1: doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it occurs. Mm. So um, we write this report, but when we write the report, we also write to the coroner when there's an amygdala discrepancy, this is a amygdala discrepancy, and that could be an incorrect tooth or sometimes people, if they've done an MO, but they know they'll be able to claim a little bit more money from the health fund, they write oh, okay, an M.O.D., yeah and uh, we tend to be creative accountancy there. Yeah. So we have to explain that to the coroner that's an immense discrepancy there. Yeah. We, we're, not, so, we're not chasing, we're not the policeman to look at how, what you've charged, uh, unless you go overboard yeah. and start doing a lot of crowns and all that, yeah. the fraud department wants to look at that. Yeah. But we basically want to get identification to get closure for the families. Of course. Because if you, if you don't have closure for the families, then there's that lingering doubt that continues and uh, this lingering doubt, unfortunately, leads to a, a long depression. People, um, mm. the, the parents of a loved one or a partner, would wake up every day thinking, oh, I wonder if that was a mistake and that person just deliberately wanted to go away for a while and not being found and, and he'll, yeah. he or she will come back. And the they never of the get a real full closure. Mm. So unless you identify that person, they're not sure. Um, so certainty is so important. Also, people like a body... Um, to form a memorial service, whether it's a church service or yeah. a memorial service. People need sort of closure, time to get together and to mourn correctly and properly. If you've mm-hmm. le- left them hanging, then it's it's not good. And there's been studies where people have had cardiovascular disease purely from the worry and depression. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even further partners would commit suicide the loss of their loved oh, ones. Wow. So, and that continuing loss and continuing downplay, so that's important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think this might be a good point to to talk about.
1: um, So you do have a special
0: interest in sort of burn victims and uh, stabilisation of those remains. So I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Sure.
1: Um, Back in 2009, uh, there was the Victorian bushfires. And there were just so many people incinerated that they needed the odontologists. As I said, there's not many of us in Australia. So they needed help from other states and uh, I was asked to go over for a couple of weeks, and we took it in turns from South Australia. Some would stay here and some would actually go. Um, And uh, we took it in turns going over there. And we were very successful, as I said earlier, about identifying these victims, but it took over three months. Mm -hmm. The reason why it took so long is the remains at a scene, the the head may be still together, uh, but as soon as you go to pick it up, it's so fragile, ashened, that it would fall apart. Yeah. So all the parts were picked up, but we had to start putting it all together. Like a jigsaw Like a big, yeah, humpy-dumpy thing where we yeah. put <laughs> it all together. But we're also giving an opinion how we think things fit together. Mm-hmm. So dental and that is extremely important. Um, and we're giving an opinion how things fit together, and it takes a while to put all these things, all the bits and pieces together, all the parts. Mm-hmm. So it took three months to, to identify them all. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we decided that there should be some way, a better way of, of doing this, and we found the weak point was the transportation from the scene to to the mortuary. So um, I'd done, I'd actually completed some earlier research on burnt implants, thinking, well, maybe pe- when people had implants, because a couple of victims had in- dental implants, and to see how well they survive fires. And implants do survive even the highest fires because <laughs> it has a melting, a high melting point of over. Uh, 1,680 degrees. So they survived fires. So after that, I f- turned um, my attention for an Indonesian friend of mine who was a student at the time, yeah. uh, Dr. Fawzi, and I, we looked at how to stabilise the remains. So um, we came up with using spray paint first uh, because that's easy to get you get from the hardware store and just spray the head. Mm-hmm. So you actually form like a glue on the outside. Uh, we were very happy about that. And we were all very pleased. <laughs> and we showed the police and then... When we came to the presentation, they said that's well and good, but we won't use it, and uh, we were shocked. And uh, they said, "Well, you're actually contaminating the scene. There we are, spraying something from the petrochemical industry. Mm. And um, you, you know, if this is a murder scene or if a suicide with an accelerant's being used, then we've gone and, and tainted the scene. So we've infected the scene." So. Thought well, this is not very good. So yeah, anything back to the, the Petro, board. back to the drawing board. Basically, um, paint um, does contain toluene, C three aromatics, and benzene, uh, mm. similar to what um, you will find in petrol. No. Uh, so um, eventually, with trying many many different products, I came out with using just flour and water, or well, basically diluted clay, because <laughs> it doesn't come from the petrochemical industry. Um, and this has been going on, and, and we've used it a lot of times in cases. However, it has its drawback to make it set, we had to use a floodlight to add a little bit of temperature for it to set quickly rather than wait for three hours or two hours to (laughs) set. So um, with the introduction of LED lights, uh, there is no floodlight. So um, we thought there's got to be something better, so it's back to the drawing board. Yeah. And then I went to an American Association meeting and one of the anthropologists was experimenting with gelatin and which sets, rather than setting at a high temperature, it actually sets at a low temperature. So Mm -hmm. recently I've been, again, burning um, sheep heads and pigs' heads and um, trying gelatin. So now -hmm. I've been um, suggesting to olontologists around the world to use gelatin to stabilise the heads. And that way Mm -hmm. you keep it stable, then you can transport the head to the mortuary to take your x-rays for comparison. Hmm. And, yeah, we were talking before the podcast again
0: about um, some of the talks that you do uh, internationally, and a lot of it is on that research on stabilisation of uh, yep. you know, of remains. So that's hmm. uh, one of the perks of the job, I guess. That's right. Oh, <laughs>
1: it, it, it gives you a little buzz, and it's nice to know yeah. that you're using your methods uh, for identification. Um, most of the talks we go to are talking about, people talk about special cases, which we do as well, um, and... and um, identification cases but it's actually a methods thing it's actually something it's very interested in so if we can improve our methods of identification because in the past it used to be mm-hmm. I was burnt beyond recognition was the term and okay. so this doesn't happen now where we're really looking down looking deep down in trying to keep everything all together mm-hmm. and by, by stabilizing the materials and I enjoy travel um <laughs> I actually retired from normal dentistry previous to last year and uh then COVID came, and I was supposed to do five international trips, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, all of a sudden couldn't do it. Right, so I feel like you a bit more than others. The yeah. pitch and, uh, all that lovely travel I was going to do because you yeah, treated pretty well when you invited yeah. to go a, um, as a keynote speaker. So that's
0: yeah, a shame. So none of the
1: travel, but all the all the casework. That's the, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So. I thought we might pivot to uh, to bite marks for a moment. Yep. So um, you've done some quite interesting work on, on bite marks and their use in, in the court system as well. So could you run us through uh, how, we, how you would look at that in a case? Yeah.
1: Um, as I said earlier, there's a bit of controversy about bite marks and uh, the people might have heard about the Innocence Project in America where people have been wrongly convicted on bite mark evidence. Uh, there is a famous case, Ted Bundy, where he actually did... Um, it was suggested that he actually did commit all these murders and where he actually bit someone on the back cheek. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and there were definite bite marks inside here. And since then, bite marks, the police decided that bite marks might be a way of being able to convict people. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of dentists in America, uh, they just use dentists instead of odontologists, would overstate the case. Uh, mm. There's a bit of bias might have been coming on. The police go to the their dentist and say, uh we think this this person bit so and so. Yeah. What can you think? prove it? Can you yeah. prove it? and What you think? So, there, if you, by hearing that you will tend to think trying to help the police, so you mm. tend to be biased and thinking, oh, but I can match up this cast with this with this photo, yeah. and I think that that's that the bite mark. And mm. um, occasionally that wasn't the case. So um, mm. people have been wrongly convicted on a bite mark evidence. Remembering that bite mark is purely. And um, the sign of a bite mark is a bruise usually. And uh, sometimes you bit so hard, you're actually bitten through the skin. But usually it's a bruise. Now, a bruise is bleeding into the tissues, so it's not mm. a definite sign. It's quite diffuse. It's quite delineating. It's, yeah. not, it's um, not quite delineating because it's diffuse. Yeah. And there's a time effort. The, the longer the time from actually when the bite mark occurred, the more bleeding into the tissues, the more dispersed it becomes. And one one... Bruise starts going one into another, so it tends to mm-hmm. flow one into another, so it's hard to sting, distinguish between the teeth. Also, there's a colour change after a couple of days. You notice the bruise will go brown and yellow, and by that yeah. time, it's, it's very hard to do. Of course, we still use bite marks from where we can on um, where children we get often get bite marks, and most of the cases yeah. we get to look at is actually children bite mark cases. That's but right. what we can say in those cases that child wasn't properly supervised. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So um, by looking, just by giving that sort of information, we think it's a bite mark, and um, but it's, we can't un- actually identify exactly who actually did that. Yeah. But having on on, on occasionally um, because of that, um, cases in America we're very careful. Occasionally, the bite marks still can be used, um, and I'll just talk about one case if so that's all right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so in this case, there was a uh, body found. And it had been very, very decomposed. It looked like it had been out there for a couple of weeks Mm. in the sun. So it was in the middle of summer and it was decomposed. And because of the decomposing the sun directly on the body, it actually had um, removed or burnt all the DNA, degraded the DNA on the outside. And um, we were involved in the identification of the victim and uh, by by looking at who was missing at the time. And uh, the teeth matched actually the dental records. So um, then later, the uh, police then looked at, obviously, circumstantial evidence and, and CCTV, and found out who was with the victim at the time, last seen with the victim, and they identified a male. And um, this male, on, um, on examination, had these marks on his upper arm. Um, the, they took photos and they, they sent me a, uh, an image of the bite marks. Now I was—I read about these bite marks in America and how they're wrong, so I was trying (laughs) to avoid the whole thing. But um, looking at it, I thought, well, I don't think it is, but I'll have another look. What was wrong with the bite mark on the photo was that the the top top markings were in a straight line, the bottom ones were in a a slightly curved mark, and as you know, dental arches are curved, and so it did worry me seeing that this top mark was in a straight line. Mm. Um, going to the watch house, though, I decided I'd go and have a look and take some photos. Going to the watch house, I got the um, the suspect to move his arm and it was clear then when he moved his arm in a downward position uh, that the upper straight line turned into a curve, which actually then corresponded to the lower okay, curve. Okay, yeah. So um, I said, mm, might have something here. Yeah. So we took the photographs with the um, right correct scales, the reason why we use the scales is so we can then get a life size um, size image of the of the bite mark. Okay. Um, just to get the right dimensions. Yes, yeah. because it's obviously impossible to you know to get a stone cast and move it to that person because that will change with mm. time. So we want an image so we take a photograph, and we want the photograph. We know in the exact size, and that's why you see on all these forensic photos, CSI photos. There's a there's a scale there. Yeah. But also you might notice there's a circle. On the, on the rulers, mm. and the rulers is purely so you can see you're definitely perpendicular to the um,
0: okay, yeah.
1: to the to the injury, and so it must be in the same plane, and also it mustn't be tilted. So if, if the circle is tilted, you'll see it's oval shaped, and uh, therefore the yeah. your image, your photo will also be um, not correctly aligned. So the, you really can't use that image where there's the circles don't don't meet. So we took some images of it. And we went back to the mortuary and took casts of the um, of the girl, uh, the deceased. And we poured them up in stone. And then we um, this is a method we use. We actually then um, mark the incisor ledges of the front six teeth on a computer, and um, we delineate the line on Photoshop. Um, when we do anything on the Photoshop, the history has to be written down and shown in court as well what we actually did to the image. So oh, that okay, way there's yeah. no, no manipulation Yes, yeah, so everything's pretty
0: transparent. So that's yeah. right. So you
1: can got to have it transparent like that. So uh, that was fairly clear and so they um, charged him all that with the bite mark. Um, it took a while to come to court but uh, the QC had a couple of worrying points about he's obviously heard about the um, bite mark controversy in America and we had to say is it possible for him to be in that position because the mark was up and just underneath the upper arm right near the shoulder and so what they the police did was get two detectives, one male and one female, both matching the same um, anatomical size and shape, so a shorter girl and a taller, taller uh, male and what I did was place a dot on the arm to, to where to bite into with the upper teeth. And we placed lipstick on the girl and got her to bite in different positions to see can if it, it be, could done. be replicated? Yeah. Uh, when they stood up, it was it was really nearly impossible for the girl to bite in that position. Mm-hmm. And also, um, if she's turned away, so that they're facing the same way, it didn't you couldn't do it. You couldn't get in tucked in there. So, however, when uh, he was laying on top of her on the ground, where height wasn't an issue, yeah. she could actually reproduce a, a similar mark to what where we'd seen it on the original um, images. So it sort of, um, we suggested therefore that it was probably laying down and he was probably on top of her in that side and therefore it was possible to create. This was all uh, documented and reported and uh, it was then sent to trial. It went to the Supreme Court in South Australia and when it came to the giving of my evidence, then the the defence lawyer, uh, quite rightly, Quoted the uh, the Innocence Project and said, but the judge decided he wanted to hear the hear the um, evidence. So um, the ca- the court was adjourned and he actually heard it in his chambers from um, from the QC our Q- the prosecutors QC. Um, having heard it, he said yes, he wanted to hear it in evidence the next day. Yeah. So I rolled up to court and um, before we could give evidence, the uh, the defence lawyer stood up and said that they're going to plead guilty. So oh, wow. it was immense <laughs> relief for me not having to be cross-examined. However, yeah. it, uh, all this work that I've been setting up to do uh, never actually got, yeah. to, got to court. So it's yeah. sort of a yes and no. It clearly
0: it, made a difference, though. So clearly made nice, a difference,
1: yeah. but it was a bit of a worry. In there. Uh, so, and it's just just one of the cases of bite marks.
0: Yeah. Oh, that, that was a really interesting story, actually. Uh, we might take a quick break here yep. just to hear a word sure. from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. Wright Evans Partners, the Dental, Accounting and Finance Specialists. Our people are here to assist you in every step of your career. Whether you're a student, dentist or business owner, we have the tools and the experience to see you succeed. Our Dental Graduate Program provides you with a complimentary tax return or business activity statement and a financial health check to help you kickstart your career. Contact us today via our website, Facebook and Instagram or on 8208. 4777 to start planning your financial future. we're with you every step of the way. Okay, and we're back. So, I won't ask what your
1: favourite case was, but what was your most interesting sort of case? Um, interesting was, uh, there was, a, we did an identification on a, a murder victim. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was, during the examination, I found a bit of skin between the lower lower anteriors. Hmm. And um, I thought this is a bit strange to find. We find interesting things between teeth all the time. Yeah, I can but imagine, this, yeah. <laughs> is, uh, this is a bit of skin, and in this murder case, and I uh, called the pathologist over and I said, there's a bit of skin here, and he hmm. suggested, yeah, it looked like a ridge pattern. So, therefore, it suggests either it came from a finger or a foot. Okay, yeah. And um, it just so happened there was another victim in, in that same house. Uh, but he was found strung up on by, by on the rafters in the laundry. Oh, so um, the police basically wanted to know was this a murder suicide, or was there a third person involved and made it look like a murder suicide? So um, as dentists, we know how to uh, wedge the teeth apart and carefully remove skin. So um, we were able to extract the skin in one piece, and. They did an ex- the examination on the hanging victim, and a bit of skin from his finger was mm-hmm. missing. And then we could actually place that bit of skin between the two, to the exact spot on the uh, on the on the finger, and it basically quickly told the, the mm-hmm. police that there's obviously a bit of violence occurring between the two, and it's unlikely there'll be a third person involved. And mm-hmm. um, obviously DNA would produce would produce the same result that they were fighting probably, and um, but it's a husband and wife. You'd probably get a crossover, a lot of DNA. Um, but of course, this was yeah. actually proven. There was a bit of violence activity going on between. Because if you ever try to even try to bite yourself, even just creating a mark, it's extremely mm-hmm. sore. Um, yeah. You wouldn't expect someone to start tearing off bits of skin off each other. Um, so that was actually quite satisfying, just by looking and finding mm-hmm. things and, and using your your, your knowledge and about uh, how things occur. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it was definitely of like a missing link in that. Missing term. link. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was. That was quite good. Um, there was another case also where um, a bit of skin was found in between the upper centrals, and that was found out to be from a foot of the suspect. Um, okay. Interestingly enough, when the I wasn't there, but um, Helen James was there, and the 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 during the examination, the the uh, suspect actually had his feet planted firmly on the table. So he said he had okay. a sore knee and he couldn't stretch his legs out they inspected all his hands expecting to find the skin from the hands but uh, then Helen had a bright idea that maybe it came from the bottom of his foot and sure <laughs> enough it did come from the bottom of his foot so they'd been into a spa in a spa together and obviously weren't wearing clothes so yeah it was found in between them so that was an interesting case as well so yeah well, that, that's really fascinating um so I think uh,
0: at this point we might just uh Change topics a little bit and talk about what it was like doing the uh, the postgraduate course. Hmm. So, uh, I imagine they would focus a lot on uh, things like anatomy and the different investigative techniques that you use. Um, is there anything that
1: you weren't expecting to cover? Well, um, most of it was, except I, what was really good and I didn't expect it was that they introduced us to the other forms of forensic work. Okay. So. Um, because we, we work together as a team, as, the, as a police, so if you're into a scene, you actually work with other police officers as well. But we also covered other areas, and, and that's obviously anthropology. We've Simpson okay. here, so we had talks on anthropology. We also had talks on DNA. And we had other areas which I never really think about, and one of them was uh, question documents. Now, what that is okay. is actually where... Um, fraud or um, with people using uh, documents, is it real or not? Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why the f- also question documents, we're looking at also dental, dental records. Um, but question documents looked at forged signatures or whether there has been implanted. So they have very incredible mm-hmm. techniques of looking at um, on paper to see if it actually really happened or is the signature the same? Is their right handwriting yeah. the same? So yeah. this is a totally out there field and it was quite interesting yeah. to hear their aspects towards the um, forensic side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, another part I really like, we had uh, the fire investigation services came. And obviously this is leading on to my research as well. And yeah. uh, I found out with the fires, um, what they find in fires and was it deliberately lit? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain key aspects which I probably can't mention here because they will be giving the secrets away. Yeah, <laughs> uh, But uh, what... They look for. Um, although I can say that you know sometimes when the, the pets are miraculously given to the neighbours, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> look after that night. It's a pretty obvious what's happening. Yeah, here. it's a pretty big clue. Um, it's a pretty big clue. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but they're basically looking at accelerants and um, use and um, hmm. the. But I found it fascinating in looking at temperatures that they get to and what what they look for and. Um, basically an overall picture of the whole scene of fires and fire investigations. And that led into, because I was interested also in the, in the dentistry side of things, with, with um, how to identify these people in the fires. Mm-hmm. So um, that was really good to hear about other aspects. And we were also invited to a, even a dig where there was a um, person they, they suspected was murdered and was buried, and um, buried many years ago, and we went out to a dig and, uh, to see if we could find the remains. Um, it was actually pretty fascinating to do that. It was it's quite a quite a good good experience to do yeah. because um, you never know what you're going to find. Every all all cases in, in forensic odontology, you mm-hmm. you don't know exactly what the case is going to bring up. So it's using your mind, whereas if you're doing, let's yeah. an endodontics or surgery, you know clearly what's happening. You're gonna take out that lower eight or you're gonna root through yeah. that upper six. <laughs> whereas in forensic, I'm totally, we're gonna to do an examination, but we don't yeah, know, don't know what's, what we're gonna until yeah. we actually open out the mouth and see what we've got um, in identification. Mm. So that was, that was something unexpected. Um, the other yeah. areas I think I expected.
0: Yeah. Um, just just going back to the um, yeah, the fraud topic quickly. So, have you ever caught
1: uh, sort of dental fraud, fraud in a dental setting? Uh, yes, yeah. 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 When, uh, yeah. Uh, both Denise and I have uh, looked at uh, cases where people have over basically overserviced, um, and sure. it's we don't tend to chase there where you've done an extension of an of a resin or or something like that. It's more um, if you're looking at serious uh, fraud where you've. Maybe if it okay. stated more crowns than you actually did. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So that's sort of with the fraud, um, there was a case many years ago where I was an odontologist where um, the real true metal wasn't being used, and so oh, okay. So in the, you're talking about a cast gold crown, and uh, it just so happened that the patient when they had a crown put in was a metallurgist. So metallologist. So he actually did an analysis on his crown while it was out of the mouth and realised there was no gold in it. So, oh, yeah. It, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I actually used you. that in further <laughs> my research in, in identifying uh, deceased victims, both in mm. implants and looking at the um, superstructure above the implant, what alloy was used. And uh, we can easily detect the difference between titanium because it doesn't melt, whereas gold would tend to form the blob. But also mm. to find what alloy was used. And I was hoping that, finding which alloy uh, different technicians use, uh, mm. we could then narrow it down to which which technician it was that actually the victim had work done on them. <laughs> However, technicians tend to be pretty clever and they tend to use any used up old alloy with the new alloy and melt it oh, all up okay. together. <laughs> so... Um, there's no certainty in that. So, one thing we yeah. want to do is be more certain than that. So, that was the shame, but it was worth trying and experimenting. Yeah. You'd be surprised how little gold is still in gold crowns. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on that topic, uh,
0: so is it a, a very obvious indication, just say you're in work or working in um, sort of identification of a victim, uh, if they have sort of work that's been done overseas, right, well, will that dental work give it away quite readily?
1: Uh, not readily. You, you assume it's being done overseas, but there's some pretty bad dentistry out here too. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, just in um, terms of the, you know, we had maybe one, use different materials. Yeah. So we had one. Did I ever talk to you about this one before? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, we had one case where it's an unidentified person and we didn't know who that person was. And what was unusual about this case was he had three or four restorations only, but those restorations were cast cobalt chrome. Oh, okay. So no, I don't think we've talked about this one. So what, uh, instead of like an amalgam, we, we initially when we opened up the mouth, we saw this dark restoration, so oh, that would be amalgam. And yeah. then on carefully um, investigations, we thought, well, it's pretty highly polished. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the, um, the, then looking carefully at it, we thought, well, this is probably a cobalt chrome. So there's not many countries that use cobalt chrome inlays or onlays. Hmm. Um, so this could narrow it down to where that person came from okay. and there might be a suggestion it might be from Japan because they tend to do those sort of restorations so um, okay. this person um, was incinerated as well so partially incinerated as well so it's um obviously uh, we think that that person might have been deliberately trying to hide the evidence by b- the perpetrators might have oh, to be okay. hide the evidence by burning the remains across yeah.
0: Um, so going back to the, of uh, the course, we sorry, went on a bit yeah, of a tangent, yeah, <laughs> <on> a tangent <laughs> no, no, there, <laughs> no, no it's, it's great. It's great. Um, so what was the most interesting component of the course other than, you know, what we were talking about just before where, you know, some of the unexpected things that you were studying? So what did you enjoy personally? out
1: Well, I, as I said to you earlier, I think the research part of doing the, of, um, getting stabilising materials and having that aha moment of using clag, um, that was the first bit that, that was mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, But every case brings up certain interests because you're wondering how I can identify this person. And sometimes we have to be innovative. As I said, we use bone structure, um, like the sinuses. Sometimes it could be just purely the roots. It could be just the restorations. Um, It's it's fairly broad, so it, it was... It was baiting all over. That was just interesting. every every case was just interesting, and that mm-hmm. was the main driving force. As so I did then my grad dip, and then followed with the masters and then PhD, and it didn't seem that long at all, though it did many years. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it was the driving force of doing casework as well whilst you're doing it, and mm-hmm. um, every case is really interesting. Now I must say, there's there's very little money in forensic odontology. Okay. Uh, if you want to make money, do one of the other specialties. Don't do forensic odontology. <laughs> so it's for the love of it. It's purely yeah. the love and interest. Um, the, uh, the the currently the uh, Attorney General's department pays the university, and then uh, mm. for for the casework to be done, and uh, then the university then takes their cut, and then we actually then get um, a also from the university. So by the time that dwindles down, there's, there's very little. And <laughs> yeah. so you're better off, I think, doing doing one of the other specialties in dentistry. Okay. But I find it very rewarding. I think uh, deep yeah. down, we find that um, certainly there's families that are getting closure. And mm. um, even in the bite mark case, there was a, a clip from the, the bite mark case I was talking about how the families were relieved mm. that that person did go to jail and that justice yeah. was done. Um, not having justice is create still bitterness still with inside people. And Mm. I said about getting closure, you knowing that you're actually protecting the health of the of the relatives and loved ones that remain. So it's a sense I know it sounds a bit too goody goody, but it's just it feels very rewarding. It's very rewarding and knowing that you've done something that's that's positive during the day.
0: Um, so just on that, what, what would you say the breakdown is in terms of, um, sort of your research and sort of the casework that you're doing? So you're, you're obviously doing quite a lot of work you know, and, um, you know, the other uh, lectures that you're giving as well. Uh, what would you say, um,
1: sort of the, uh, sort of
0: yeah, the distribution is of yeah. that work. So
1: yeah. casework, we tend to do on Tuesdays and Thursdays so okay. in, in the afternoons. So it the actual physical casework doesn't occur unless we have to attend a scene. Obviously, someone, they ring us up and hopefully it's not in the middle of the night. We then yeah. have to go to the scene. But otherwise, it's just Tuesdays and Thursdays. The other part, we, we have to write, as I said, first when someone's being, we form an opinion, we send a statement off to the coroner's office. So that way they can get themselves organised about releasing the body or not. Um, but then, actually, writing reports, um, they need to be uh, correctly written with the correct numbers. And in the reports, we also um, uh, place photographs or of our image or images of the X-rays and, and the comparative and what we actually utilised to form our opinion. So, and also what we had initially found in the anti mortem, what we found in the post mortem, and what actually then coincided in there. So. Writing these reports takes quite a long time, so mm. that's usually done and usually completed in the other times. Um, and the research occurs usually in your own time. Okay. <laughs> you don't get paid for research, this is just it. So yeah. you don't expect, as I said to you, it's not a, not a uh, specialty where you make money. It's um, The research is your time, your interest. Um, but okay. it's very rewarding in Self-directed. that, <laughs> yeah, in that um, people are interested in your work, and you get to talk about it and to uh, mm-hmm. write articles in about the uh, the research that you've done. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's go 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 on your on your casework. Unfortunately, then there's that boring writing reports, and yeah. and um, we also have a missing person database. So it's, when someone goes missing, then usually over a month we collect the dental records in case. Um, we f- they forget. The relatives might forget which dentist they went to, or that practice might close down. So we like to obtain the dental records. And uh, the odontology department has been very busy at the moment by placing down all the all the South Australian missing persons dental records. And this goes right back into the Beaumont children. So okay, yeah. uh, we've got the, the dental records that we have. Dental records not only just from the dentist, but also images of their teeth. So when they're smiling. And um, any casts or any orthodontic work, yeah. um, we get to know. So anything that might just help us with the identification, and that's up uploaded up onto a, a um, call it a Plaz Data system, which is a, okay. a computer system where all the images are downloaded and all the mm-hmm. dental information is down there. And we have a what we call a um, a charting where we write down all the all the restorations that are placed. And this charting is uh, based on Interpol, where we have abbreviations for which restoration. So therefore one country can read the other person's notes. So and oh, okay, understand yeah. those notes. Um, yeah. Because people cross borders, and uh, it was only recently where we said we've had our national database, even been one state, we only had South Australians, but now we download all this information on a national database. And um, even now we have to make sure that we're talking the same language. And yeah. Doing the correct abbreviations, hmm. uh, most countries in the world do um, right use the Interpol uh, classifications, except America is definitely one <laughs> that doesn't do it. They they do their own stuff. Yeah, so standalone. Yeah, standalone. <laughs> uh, they know what's what's right for them. And also, I think because in, in using these the software, you have to pay for it, whereas the Americans devise the software. They don't pay for it at all. Oh, so okay. There's, yeah. So there's money this, uh, deciding to use the software, I suspect. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, th- I think that gives you a bit of a rundown. You really have to love doing what you're doing, and, and you've got to spend mm. a lot of your free time in thinking about your research, even if you're doing it. At, uh, yeah. And a lot of that time is when <laughs> I'm fishing away, I'm thinking about my uh-huh, <laughs> I could ring so and so, and maybe they. So, in friends, we ask for help um, quite often in other agencies for mm. opinions. There's a lot of collaboration between yeah. agencies, yeah. yeah. So, it's quite
0: good in that way. Mm. Um, Okay, so how long have you been doing forensic odontology for at this
1: point? Well, two thousand and six I started, so I was a late starter. So, fifteen years now.
0: Okay.
1: So, uh, I the reason why I started was um, originally I had a little taste of it when I was in Alice Springs. There was a um, hot air balloon crash, where two hot air balloons crashed together, and they came down, came tumbling down, and they obviously quite traumatised bodies and they did dental identification on them. I wasn't mm-hmm. invited. The, um, the local uh, government dentist actually did the identification up there or charting of the what they found. Yeah. And I thought that was just, just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, then back planted in... The of planted the seed. Planted the yeah. seed of thought. And then in 2005, there was this, this tsunami that occurred and in, across in Indonesia and a lot of Australians were uh, deceased in Phuket and uh, uh, a the, lot of Australian dentists and odontologists went there. And I thought, oh, I could do that. But um, mm-hmm. then the brakes were put on saying, no, 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 you've got to do a, a course. <laughs> 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 you just can't roll up and start identifying teeth. And uh, so I, that's in 2006. I decided that would be a, a, yeah. um, a, a thing that I could probably do because I was getting actually a bit... Bit bored with and mundane about dentistry, and thought, mm-hmm. is there more to the question, is there more to life in just dentistry? So yeah. I applied and uh, got in. So that was, yeah. um, I'm glad I did. It was yeah. excellent.
0: And over a decade in, are you still enjoying it as much as you
1: were? Sort of well, I still enjoy it as much as I, I, I always did. Um, I don't do casework at the mm-hmm. moment, I um, let the young. New, new grads do that ah, okay, and yeah. so to me I was, as, I was going to retire and just go overseas and just give talks all the time <laughs> uh, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so and actually lately so then because I was going overseas I've been now tutoring um, final year students hmm. and I enjoy that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so
0: actually we will talk about the tutoring but just before we get onto that topic um, so what would you recommend for those wanting to find out a bit more about forensic odontology?
1: Um, read books about it. Um, also, there's some excellent videos on forensic odontology. Um, other odontologists will talk. There's even a TED Talk on um, forensic odontology. Uh, also speak to the forensic odontologists here. Um, mm. Our Adelaide University is one of the top universities in forensic odontology in the world. So we, we lead the pack pretty well. So um, I think Belgium are ahead of us. That's about it. Um, yeah. So talk to the frenzy odontologist here. As I said earlier, Denise Higgins is the director and she's very open to, to having a discussion. And so I think having a discussion, look on the, on the website, on the um, YouTube videos and mm-hmm. um, most of them are true reflection of actually what sort of casework you'll be doing. Um, there is cases we yeah. had actually one student where she came from Germany to do the course here uh, but it, it was not for her. Yeah. Obviously, we're looking at deceased remains, and uh, so it may not be for everybody. Uh, yeah. So we have a bit of an induction first and see how you go. That She had, she decided it wasn't for her after six weeks, so a bit unfortunate, mm-hmm. but that's what can occur. So you must be prepared, and maybe it's not the type of work that you want to be involved in. As um, mm-hmm. I said to you, uh, just on that, we actually have a lot of international students, so uh, we've... Um, had students from uh, Malaysia and, and um, Indonesia, and then in, even the Indonesians. There's now they've risen risen high, high in the ranks of forensic odontology, and mm-hmm. I'm very proud that these uh, see these students do really well. Um, well, not students now; they've gone yeah. through, and uh, also Qatar and um, other countries as well. So, mm-hmm. and also one one of our students now. She's actually now deputy of deputy of the working group for. Disaster Victim Identification at Interpol, oh, wow. Okay. so, so it's good to know that you know one of my students is doing very well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it oh, so definitely it's, be a point of pride. For sure. It's a point of
1: pride and yeah. to know that they're doing well, and it's good feedback. And mm. it's so uh, I, I think have a discussion, have a talk, and I think whilst you're in Adelaide, it's the, I think it's the place to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so I think it's a pretty natural segue onto the the tutoring topic. So. Um, you know, you, for those that don't know, you tutor a lot of fifth years, uh, particularly those on placement. So we're talking about before you go to Port Lincoln and Wyala mainly. Are there mm-hmm. any others that you or Mount Gambier? And as well. Mount Gambier yep. as well. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: So those three. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what are your expectations of fifth year students? And uh, it's a very broad question. Yeah, that's, but... that's that's a hard one. Yeah. Uh,
1: basically, I, I expect them to to perform in what they've learnt in the past. Um, I expect them to also. Main thing, I, the most important thing I think is to get them to think, um, think and think outside the box. Uh, mm-hmm. Think of it laterally. Um, what we've, what they've been taught is one way of doing things. Maybe there is a better way. And um, using, keep up to date. Read, read, um, view um, other tapes. Get catch up with CPD. So I like someone who actually thinks about different things. And mm-hmm. maybe we could use this, or maybe we could use that. I'm very conservative. Yeah. I don't like extractions, as I said earlier. No. <laughs> uh, so I, I like to see if we can save a tooth. Um, obviously, extracting the tooth will solve the problem, but mm-hmm. is that the right thing for the patient? Uh,
0: yeah. You know,
1: um, it, where there's not a lot of money, then you probably the, the only hope is to extract the tooth and have a denture. But mm-hmm. you'll find, actually, when you get in private practice, people are willing to spend the money on their teeth. As I said to you earlier, the psychology of, of keeping a tooth is, is quite high. People are... Also, also improving their aesthetics is something that I mm. think is not pushed uh, in a system where you haven't got a lot of uh, money to spend. Um, yeah. As I said to our, all to my students, I always encourage them to on YouTube to look at maybe um, using different materials and to look at implants. And um, also, as I said if you can um, look at other options. We, we had the COVID last year. We had the lockdown. Mm. Treatment options weren't a lot. So, Riverstar. I think I mentioned to you was to look it up and how to use your Rivastar because it's good to know beforehand how you can use these materials and also to practice Mm. using it. Um, Patients may not want an LA or or with that option where you could do minimal um, preparation, but Mm. still get some sort of positive result and get them out of pain. Obviously, when you've got irreversible pulpitis and there's not much option you're going to have there. Of course. But... um, There are other ways of actually just treating a tooth than than extraction, I think. So, uh, if if you have me as a tutor, you're bound to have the conservative approach, (laughs) I suspect. Uh, Not to say the other treatments are wrong. It will get the patients out of pain and probably Mm. solve their their immediate concerns. So, yeah, I definitely don't get into trouble here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, speaking to your point, I feel like we um, we are kind of on train tracks a lot of the time. We do get taught a certain way of doing things, and we do. You know, sometimes get locked into a certain way of thinking. So it's good, I think, to you know, um, just plant the seed in a way. You know, so that that's right. people go into fifth year; they're more
1: open to other ideas and you know, uh, doing a lot of their own and research. And one of the greatest things is that you get many tutors, and people mm-hmm. think that might be a negative. Oh, I did one thing, but this treatment plan is different to another. It just gives you another, uh, open your eyes to another way of method of maybe me doing things. Um, as you said, you might get seven tutors, seven different treatment plans. But we're all trying to improve the status of that patient. And there are probably more ways of doing things. Um, and you've got to make up your, your minds when you graduate how you want to work and how you want to practice. Mm-hmm. And we've given you different options of ways of doing things um, in preparing teeth or extracting it um, or uh, and using different materials. When you, when you graduate, um, you'll be... Using certain materials, but in a few years from now, you'll be using more modern materials, um, and will be yeah. superseded. So, keep an open mind. As I said to you right at the beginning, to, um, you know, don't be the first to use something, but. Uh, Keep yeah. it open there and thinking about using. Ask other dentists who have been using this material? Yeah, um, how successful was it? You know, what's their feedback? Yeah. You're probably more likely to get an honest feedback than a resin company that just wants to sell you these resins. Of uh, course, yeah. Or, you know, a material use this material, it's fantastic and, and mm. I'll prove published results. And it, I always like the actual word of mouth uh, from a friend or who actually used some sort of materials like that. So you're going to use more modern materials and hopefully that makes the life easier. Yeah. We didn't have all these. Great resins and glass on them, as when I went through with basic amalgam was it. So yeah, it would have been quite a long. change having and all these different things. We, we didn't even use care. gloves. So turn, an yeah, that's
0: one thing that I just, yeah, I can't
1: imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine doing uh, We did a surgical, yeah. we put the gloves on and that was it, you know. And yeah. uh, but we've got some nasty pathology out there now. So uh, we you know infection control is amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's it's keep basically keep an open mind. So I expect the students to do other, you know, keep an open mind and keep their mind open to m- different materials, different methods, different treatment plans, and, but justify it to themselves why are they doing this? Why mm-hmm. are they doing this? And and if they can justify it to me, then go ahead. So sometimes I would do it probably differently, but if they have justified it to me, why are they doing it and they believe that they can rationalise it. Then I accept that. If they can, can rationalise it. That? it, that's fine. Yeah. Because that's yeah. probably my, what they would probably do when they graduate. So they best practice it while they're under supervision still. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's always been my mindset. Just to, you're taking advantage of the, um, the umbrella of the university, doing mm. in a you know, an environment where yeah you, know, uh, you a do bit have of someone, safety someone to net still. yeah a bit yeah. of a safety net. Someone can jump in and yeah you know, take care yeah. of things if things get you know, go a bit too far. No, it's that, I think that's uh, fantastic advice. Um, what uh, What resources
1: would you recommend to someone in fifth year? Well, as uh, I said, you, on the it, it, graduating? You've, you've got to broaden as much as you can. Um, read books. The, as I said, the best resource is other dental practitioners. Um, uh, it, by attending courses, you get to talk to other dentists, not only just doing that course. You actually talk to other dentists and um, ask what they use. So um, you can do it. I'm just wary of company You know, flash, great brochures that said we'll do this and this. Uh, Keep an open mind on it and um, ask how it's how it's going. And uh, and remember, a lot of these materials are extremely expensive. Um, Remember those bottles of little bits of bond are over a hundred and something dollars (laughs) each. You you know, you don't go splashing that around as much as um, as you you probably think you could in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, You'd like to be a bit more conservative, um, but you do need to use the new materials because there's, there's no, no doubt they will have a, 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 um, some sort of positive effect but, and, an, and an advantage to what the materials you're using. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is it true? Is it, is it something I want to know? And, and is, is there a side reaction yeah. or will they fall apart in a few years from now?
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned um, just the cost of things. I don't think we really have, you know, going through dental school, a good frame of reference for how much these things cost.
1: It's scary. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: um, so, you know, resins are quite expensive. Uh, at one time, the resin, by weight, was getting to be more expensive than gold. Because, yeah. And so it's um, it's not something you just just use willy-nilly uh, across the society. Yeah. So... Um, the the new resins are great, but the companies out there to make money, and uh, mm. the if it helps you, fine. But if it's purely just to make money, you may, may consider. So I haven't been I have been um, dropping glass on as as you know as a as a, tu- as a yes. tutor. I <laughs> tend to really still like the glass honomer bases, and um, it uh, it's it's got more moisture tolerance and. Mm. Um, if you want something still aesthetic over the top, you can sort of place a resin over the top of that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think one final question before we, uh, before we sign off. So what is some advice that you can give to, uh, to people that are you know, just about to graduate or have maybe just recently graduated?
1: Um, find a practice you like to enjoy. You're going to spend most of your wake, waking life in mm-hmm. that practice. Uh, so... You want to be a place that you think you'll enjoy working. Don't, I yeah. uh, think, don't just try to change. well, this is going to pay me the most. Mm. Um, you want to find a place that does pay you the most and enjoy <laughs> it. Um, Best of both worlds. It's, it's a personal thing where you, what you each person have their own um, objectives. But I would find the most important thing, I would think, is, is to enjoy your work. And uh, as I said, I'd leaned over to doing a lot of resin work because I enjoyed giving the aesthetics and improving people's lives and smiles mm. that way. Um, so you've, you've got to enjoy joy the dentistry, otherwise it will run you down. I think mm. um, suicide has been a problem in dentistry in the past. And um, quite often to students, I even say, give yourself a pat on the back. I would When you're doing a resin on the anteriors or something, yeah. show the patient or a really good clean, show the patient what you've done. The patient will look at the mirror and say, oh, yeah, thanks. But it actually gives you a bit of pride to yourself, a bit of positive feedback to yourself. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you just don't want the negatives um, where patients ring up and saying that feeling's still a bit sharp or anything else. Because people only give you feedback usually when they ring back there's usually there's a little minor problem that you need sorting. But Mm. um, I would think your mental health is very important. Um, Yeah. um, just as the last-moment thing is to say, look after your mental health, give yourself a little pat on the back, and think about the positive things you've done for the day. All right. That's a fantastic advice there. Um, so
0: I think that's a wrap. Uh, thank you very much for coming oh, on I the loved podcast. It. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the discussion.